Welcome to Building Texas with Justin McKenzie and Summer Babarak, sponsored by the Bernie Kendall County Economic Development Corporation and Das Greenhouse. And now, here's your host, Justin McKenzie. Welcome to Building Texas. You're on Bernie Radio 103.9 FM. I'm joined by Summer today, and we are visiting with Andy Rawls. Andy Rawls is a woodworker and a creator here in the Hill Country, and I had the privilege of working with him to make a baseball bat for my son, and that was a nerve-wracking experience. I did not expect my nine-year-old to have a lathe and blades and all the woodworking equipment that you think of when you think of a shop, but he did great, and it was fun to watch him really take ownership of it and see it, but while we were there, I was looking around the shop, and there's an interesting story to be told, so I invited Andy to join us today and, and really look forward to learning about his 1925 Oliver machines, his cannons that are laying around in the corner, and everything else that you've been working on to build a YouTube career, a woodworking career, a furniture career. I'm not really sure how to sum it up, but it's going to be an exciting conversation. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, you know, I have all girls, so no one's at my house is really interested in going to make bats or anything like that. But my husband does a lot of stuff. He builds a lot of things around the house. He built all the custom closets in our old house. Our oldest loves to help him do that stuff. They are in the process of building a house for our cat. So I'm excited to hear about it. I'm excited to learn today. Oh, uh, cat videos do really well on YouTube. So y'all uh, should okay. get the camera out and <laughs> just live time lapse it. Yeah, that'll be perfect. Charlie would love it. She'd be like, this is for my fat cat, Finn. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, thank you for joining us today. Oh. And where would people know you from? Where would they see your work? So I have a website at andyrawls.com. Uh, I do have Instagram. That's AR Texas Woodcraft. And then I do the YouTube channel. So you can just find me on YouTube at Andy Rawls. And how did you get into woodworking? Because that's where I think your journey starts professionally. Yeah, yeah. I started doing the woodworking in high school with my dad. He did it as a hobby. So it was something I was around and familiar with. And then I actually went to Baylor University to study telecommunications, learned film, radio, video production, all that stuff, graphic design. And then while I was in, at Baylor, I was always going back because I lived close to Waco. I was always going back to my dad's shop building stuff and just had that attachment to that. And I took some classes at a place called Homestead Heritage. I might have told you about this. It's a community that has just different crafts they teach. They teach pottery, um, all kinds of stuff, farming. And they have a really good woodworking school there. And it's a real traditional method to building furniture. It's, it's It was taught by a a guy from England named Paul Sellers, who's a, is a fairly big name in the woodworking world. That was like the catalyst. When I took those classes, that's when I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is, this is really cool. And so from there, I ended up doing an apprenticeship in Kentucky after school and just kind of slowly evolved into starting my own business. It was a, it's been a long journey. When you start a woodworking business, what does that feel like? Is it, hey, I'm going to make a piece of furniture because somebody ordered it or am I making stuff speculatively and selling it? It usually starts with a family member wanting something, you know, <laughs> but no, I had a good transition. I was lucky. My wife's dad is a home builder with her uncle. So I was working for an individual in Bernie, Catterton Woodworks, uh, making custom doors. And when I went off on my own, I had that relationship with the home builder and my wife's dad to kind of get me started. So the first year, they were probably 30 to 40% of my work. And they were building homes for, you know, 
you know, houses in Cordillera, some pretty expensive homes. I would really build anything from, you know, stair treads to cabinets, anything they needed. But it was an opportunity to meet the clients, the home who were building the home and try to sell a dining room table. And so I sprinkled in some furniture with it. And it just it was a real slow process over the course of five years. There was no marketing to it. It was just every time you built a piece that kind of became your marketing and the client was kind of your salesperson. So it was interesting. I would build a dining room table for someone, and then a month later, I would get an, uh, you know, an email or phone call. Hey, we had dinner on so and so's table. It's beautiful. We want to order one. And this process just evolved, and and finally, I think over like three or four years, it was to the point where there was steady work, uh, actually, you know, backlog of work. So what do you focus on now? I mean, obviously, I think when a lot of people get started, it's like, well, whatever yeah, somebody exactly. wanted is what I was willing to do. But it seems like you've built this business over time and you look legit because I see the pieces of wood <laughs> on your, your shirt. I mean, you look exactly like how I would want my woodworker to, <laughs> to look. But what is your what are your passion projects and what are the things that you get really excited about now and where do you focus your work? So... The pieces that I love to build, so everything I build now is considered heirloom furniture. So I give a lifetime guarantee on it. And that's a great question because as you start building things just to build things and generate revenue, you kind of become what you make. So if I if I build cabinets, it's very easy to just become a cabinet maker real quick. And that's not what I want. And so to answer your question, I like to build traditional furniture that's solid wood. We do, I do use some veneer work, but it has a lot of traditional aspects in that if you took an antique piece of furniture that's sitting in like your grandmother's house, you'd see drawers that are fitted. They're not on hardware. They're fitted in the case. They're dovetailed. And you would see that the piece is still working properly and in good shape. So something like that is what I strive to build. Uh, And to give you an example, last year I built a bed for a client in Austin that was a platform bed. So the mattress set kind of low to the floor. It had a big live edge headboard but it had these floating nightstands that were all dovetailed, hand-fitted drawers. It's a beautiful piece. And those kind of pieces are the pieces that, if I could, every single time, I'd want to build one that. And a piece like that is a, you know, a month and a half, two-month build. And it's a, it's a pretty expensive piece of furniture. So, Do you find your customers are patient when you're working on a project like this? I, yes. I think of... I'm very grateful. For it's, it's artistic. It's creating. But you're also running your business and finding time to mm-hmm. do the creation, as well as everything else that you're doing. How long does it take to build heirloom furniture? It, yeah, so like I said, that piece was was probably about a five to six week build. Any piece that's really labor intensive is going to be a month or more, a couple months. I, I build a lot of dining room tables and, and simpler pieces that can be you know a week and a half or two weeks, quick quicker turnaround. But the clients, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest challenges I've had to overcome is is managing a schedule and, and, and scheduling well. I'm not exactly an organized person at all, like you've been in my shop. So that's been a struggle for me. And even, even this year, I've been in a situation where I've been about six weeks behind. And, you know, to answer directly to that question, I've, I've emailed clients and said, look, if you're on the backlog, expect to be six weeks to seven weeks behind the due date. And you know, I'm very fortunate that those people are usually, hey, we, we understand we're, we're getting something handmade. We're willing to wait. Where it gets tricky is if you're doing a job for something that's commercial. Like now I'm doing a, a reception desk for a hotel in Austin and, you know, they're going to be a little bit more, you know, we need the piece now kind of feeling. But 
And what does that customer get to do to, in the design process? Are you giving them the design and saying, here's the option? Or they choose wood and color because you don't use a lot of stain. It's natural wood. Yeah. Most of the clients are pretty heavily involved in what they want. They they come with with an idea already there, and I kind of tweak it a lot of times. I have had clients who are just, we want a bed. This is somewhat of what we want. Like the, the platform bed I was telling you, they just kind of sent a photo, but we want you to come up with the concept. That's my favorite thing to, to do and an approach. But most clients come with an idea in mind and, and I just help tweak it and turn it into a piece of furniture. So, so where do you get, this is going to be a silly question, but let's dive in. Where do you get your lumber? I mean, you know, we think about doing these kinds of projects around the house or whatever. You, oh, you run to Lowe's or Home Depot or, what, you know, whatever your local lumber yard is. But this is specialty and this is different and you need larger pieces. And right. so where do you source that? I watched a great video where you fought with an 8,000 pound log for yeah. a weekend. Yeah. yeah, there are some. I mean, a lot of times I'll get a log myself and just saw it up and dry it. But I don't do that often. Most lumber is coming from a large commercial supplier out of San Antonio, and they'll deliver right to my shop, which is nice. Um, but if it's really unique species, you know, a lot of people like the local Texas species, pecan and mesquite. Um, I got to go to local sawmills in the area, and we can select slabs and, and hand select it. But it's that's part of making a really well-made piece of furniture is selecting good material and material that's been dried properly. There's a battle with moisture content in wood. It moves, and if it's not built to accommodate that movement, it'll break itself apart, basically. So Those lows, two-by-fours, you don't want to build furniture. supposed to be warped no. and spinning? <laughs> Those are, so the, this is probably too much of a technicality, but lumber should be dried around 8% to go in a home. That's kind of the general rule of thumb, and two-by-fours are, usually at like 15 or 16 because they're framing lumber and they're not in a climate controlled house. So you're listening to building Texas on Bernie radio, 103.9 FM. We're thrilled to be sitting here with Andy Rawls, who is a creator here in the hill country. And I say creator because you're a furniture maker, YouTube's creator, and then other things that you do. Where do you find the balance professionally as a solopreneur to live in your shop, but still be aware of the world around you and growing your business? I don't know if I, I honestly don't know if I have found it yet. I do feel as an entrepreneur, like pretty consumed by the business. If I'm thinking about what I'm going to do today, usually my high priority is how much time can I get in the shop? That's, that's hard because I've got, obviously I'm a father, husband, I've got kids and I've also just you know, you want to be involved in the community and, and involved in my church. So it, it, that's a hard balance. It can be stressful, you know, especially when something comes that's unexpected that takes away from your work and, and slows down productivity. You know, it's just hard. I don't know if I have a, a great answer for it, to be honest with you. Talk to me about the YouTube piece of this, because I'm naive to this. So forgive the ignorance here, but I don't exactly imagine craftsmen like welders or, you know, woodworkers or, you know, guys that do craftsmen extremely well being like, oh, you know what we should do? <laughs> it's it's actually becoming very common. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, as you might know or might be able to tell, I'm not a YouTuber. Yeah. I'm not. I don't do much on the interwebs. So <laughs> well, there's a lot of trade labor workers that have 
become very wealthy because they started, they shared their craft on YouTube and they, you know, they earned a good living doing it. And it, like I said, it's becoming popular. I started my YouTube channel six, seven years ago and there's every, I mean, there's no barrier to entry there. You just need a camera and film what you do, you know, Mm -hmm. and people watch it and people like it, you know? So it's, yeah, there's a lot of guys doing a lot of woodworking guys doing videos. So it's, it's, it's getting more difficult to even compete within that arena as well. So did your background at Baylor and going through that media education help? Because I I do watch your videos and there's a style and confidence that I imagine after 250 videos, you, you get naturally, but getting started, did that help you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I always enjoyed filmmaking and I always, what I wanted to do was do like documentaries and stuff like that. I think, you know, with that industry, what I learned at Baylor, I graduated from Baylor in 05. So all the technology is yeah. totally different. So that was a, that was a hurdle to get over. But as far as like composing shots and understanding how to make a good video and all that, I, I, I did have that training and it helped. So what do you find that your audience is primarily watching you for? Are they looking for tips? Are they just enjoying seeing the process of the product or what is the primary draw? When I started the channel, my idea was to make it appealing to anyone. So if you didn't know anything about woodworking and you watched the video, you would be like, well, that's really cool. And that, that I tried to stay within that. I think it just goes across the spectrum. People who are into furniture making. And the unique thing about my channel, is I'm still operating a furniture business. A lot of YouTubers, they're going to stop taking commissions and just make content because you're gonna, it's just a little bit, I mean, it makes, it makes more money. It's more lucrative. But I, I still love to make furniture for clients, so I try to intertwine both of those. And so people are getting a unique perspective in that I'm building actual pieces for clients, and they like to see that process, how it looks. If you're a woodworker, there's a lot you can learn from watching the videos. And if you're not, you know, there's a lot you can gain just from seeing how a custom piece of furniture is made. So I think, I think it goes across the spectrum. You're listening to Building Texas on 103.9 FM. After the break, we're going to talk about a project that I'm excited to learn more about and the visibility that Andy's bringing to the Hill Country and to Texas. This is Justin McKenzie from Building Texas. Today's segment is brought to you by Das Greenhouse. Das Greenhouse is a business incubator launched here in Bernie to serve our local community. Das Greenhouse is a place where you can come to grow your idea. Our goal is to make Bernie accessible to people who are looking to grow a business, expand a business, or learn more about what's out there in their community and get involved. Visit us at dasgreenhouse.org or come visit us at 7 Upper Balconies Road, Bernie, Texas. Das Greenhouse. Welcome back to Building Texas on 103.9 FM, Bernie Radio. We're here with Andy Rawls today, and we've been talking about his woodworking career and really how he got started. I want to talk about a project that I think is really exciting and, and will connect to the audience here in Central Texas in particular around the, the work on the Alamo. Yeah. And you had an opportunity, somebody re- saw your work, reached out and asked if you could make a wooden replica of the cannons at the Alamo. Why would they need those and what did they do with them? So that will, to answer your question, they did a cannon restoration project where they basically rebuilt all the cannons from the Battle of the Alamo and that process, I fell into that job through YouTube. So that's one of the benefits of YouTube is that the guy who runs the Alamo saw the videos. Like, hey, he sent me an email and he was like, 
would you be interested in building a cannon carriage for a cannon at the Alamo? That's all he said. And I like immediately wrote him back. Yeah, let's do this. Like, of course, I'm going to say yes to this. So what, what happened? They commissioned me to do four patterns. So a pattern is a wood replica of the cannon, the original cannon. So if you go to the Alamo now, you go in the kind of the walkway to the right, they have these cannons on display. We took those. Those are, those are I think, the original cannons, but they're just old and weathered and obviously not functional. We took those, 3D scanned them, created patterns, and then I turned them on the lathe out of wood. We sent them to a foundry in Ohio, and then their their sand mold is made of those patterns. And this is traditionally how it would have been done. I mean, it's, it's, it's been, this process has been around for hundreds of years. And then they cast it into a bronze cannon. So if you wanted to see one that I've done, when you there's a new section of the Alamo when you're walking up to it before you even go in it to the right, where they have a little walkway up to a small four pound, I think it's a four pound cannon. And I built the carriage for that one and I did the mold for that one. So, and that is a functioning usable cannon. I mean, it's super cool. And there was a point where that cannon had been casted and came back to my shop from the foundry so I could fit it to the carriage. And that was like probably the highlight of my time building furniture. Cause it's like, I walk into my shop and there's this brass cannon in there for the Alamo. I was like, this thing's sweet, man. It's so cool. But, you know, you say that's how it's been done for hundreds of years, but I never would have thought a woodworker would be part of making a cannon. Well, any so if you think, like even the bandsaw you mentioned earlier, anything like pre, and I don't know, I don't know the timelines for this, but probably pre-1950, pre-World War II is, we've got a lot of cast iron components to things, like machines, bases to tables, sewing machine bases, they're all cast iron. To do anything casted, they they had pattern maker shops and they would make the they would make the product out of wood to make a mold to cast it. So that was I mean being a pattern maker was a very common trade, you know, in that time. Does that make sense? Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I think about it back in terms of like rodeo, the saddles with the wooden trees far better than the saddles with, you know, the plastics Synthetic. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, that's why I have old machines cuz they waste their, their cast iron. Everything on them is metal and they just weigh a lot. And there's everything now is made with sheet metal and it's lightweight. And it's just, I mean, if you wanted to build a machine now like they were built back then, it would just be crazy expensive. There's nothing in your shop, as I think about it, that's new. Well, that's. If I look at your equipment and machinery, it's all restored. Not all of it, but a lot. There's two bandsaws that are restored that were built in 19. 19- 20, one was 1925, one was 1926. And then I've got a few, there's an old mortiser that was 1950s. And then I've got some modern day machinery in there as well. How, how many people like you are there? Are there? Is there a big community of woodworkers? Yeah, you'd be surprised. There's a lot, yeah. And is it serving like a regional market typically? Because you, you're particular on your website, you say the cities that you serve. Is yeah, and I've, I've shipped, to, I shipped, Last year shipped a couple pieces, piece to California. I'm, I'm about to start a bed for a client in Colorado. And and that's been something that's come from, you know, the exposure on YouTube and all that. But there's a lot of small shop, like one-man shops like mine that serve their community. Spread. I mean, there's a bunch in Texas. And there's a good network of them. Well, and you talked about you got into woodworking up in Waco yeah. through a space not dissimilar from Das Greenhouse where – a collective of people are coming together and really helping each other find their special talent. Yeah. 
and you found woodworking there and really converted it into what you're doing today. And, and this is everything you do. So if we're thinking Andy on a Monday, what is Andy on a Monday doing? He's probably in the shop working on furniture. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I was just going to say that's so wild to think about. It's so very different from the world that I live in, right? With, with biotech where you're dealing with, you know, patient populations, you yeah. know, that you it have is. to serve with, with something. And so it's so very different to think that like a single person in a, a relatively small geographic community or area has enough business, but it's, I mean, it kind of goes to the same thing we were discussing with Will at Verit Chisos, you know, yeah. you can be very intentional about what you're doing and serve a small community and there's value in that, but it's just, it's so, it's almost difficult for me to yeah. encapsulate. Well, the modern business conversation is you need millions of followers. You need all these subscribers and customers. And, and you said it in the will, riches in the niches. Right. Mm -hmm. Where this is a very specialized and, and it's a craft that you have that you share with people. They just happen to buy your your goods, what you've made, and that's how you share it. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a craft. And that's I see myself as a, as a craftsman. A lot of people ask, you know, are you an artist or like I see myself as a craftsman and I think there's a lot of value in keeping that tradition alive, especially in a world where we're going into so much technology and it's all happening so fast and it's even trickling into what I do. But I think being able to, you know, create something with your hands and, and do it in a way that it, the value in it is not just that it's handmade, but that it's, it's something you own for your life and it's something you may give to your kids, you know? So if you think about the furniture we purchase now, most of it, from the big box stores is not, it's like, it's not going to last. It's not something you're going to give to your kids. It's, it's just not built that way. And that's the way a lot of things are built nowadays. So it's cool to, to think that not only is, is it handcrafted, but there's a legacy to it and it's something that's going to be around. So, so if you could build anything, like if you, if it was just up to you, you were like, all right, I have free reign. Like, what would be the thing that you would want to go, like your project, your passion project that you'd want to be like, man, if I could just do this one thing, it'd be awesome. Well, I was telling you about the Sam Houston desk, right? So I saw while I was at the Alamo, a, the desk that Sam Houston used, and it's it's a really cool desk. It's kind of a secretary style with fold down doors and stuff. I Like an old traditional piece like that, that just takes a lot of labor would be a piece that I would just love to build. And it's hard to find someone willing to, you know, pay for three months worth of shop time to build a piece like that. But as we wrap up our conversation, I, that's an interesting conversation because it's the new, you're 3d scanning, CAD scanning, putting it into software to get yeah. the design, but then you're taking the hundreds of years of craftsmanship and using fine tools. There's a, there's that, a lot going on. Yeah. Tools I don't even know exist, but you're like, oh, this is the exact tool for this job. And you know that because of your experience, but it all ties into a modern world of you could take a desk from 200 years ago, scan it yeah. and recreate it to millimeters. Yep. Wow. And that's incredible. There's no difference in the ability to do it, obviously, but the efficiency of it is so much faster. And that's why I, like, I don't have anything against technology, but I'm glad I was trained with traditional hand tools because there's a balance you can find. Because there's things that like with a hand plane or chisel, you, you have to do it that way. There's no like if you're fitting a drawer into 
an opening, you're not gonna do it any other way than with a hand plane and just making little shavings until it fits perfect. But then I also have a CNC in my shop and it, it just speeds up production and, and jig making and all kinds of stuff like that. So there's just a really cool balance and it's a lot of fun to find that balance. Well, Andy, it's been a pleasure to have you come into Doss Greenhouse today and visit with Summer and I and share your craft and then how you've converted that into a career as a solopreneur. Yeah, I really um, enjoyed it. Yeah. And we appreciate the way that you're building Texas and the opportunity to introduce you to, to the world. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. This is Justin McKenzie from Building Texas. Today's segment is brought to you by Das Greenhouse. Das Greenhouse is a business incubator launched here in Bernie to serve our local community. Das Greenhouse is a place where you can come to grow your idea. Our goal is to make Bernie accessible to people who are looking to grow a business, expand a business, or learn more about what's out there in their community and get involved. Visit us at dasgreenhouse.org or come visit us at 7 Upper Balconies Road, Bernie, Texas. Das Greenhouse. Library is open today from 10 to 4. This is Bernie Radio.